0: Hello and welcome back to another 10 questions today's returning guest is the much loved Australian actor Patrick Brammel. after starring in such shows as moody Christmas strange calls and offspring Patrick co-created the Stan hit no activity with Trent O'Donnell before taking it to the US where it played on CBS all access for four seasons Brammel, who also starred in the US remake Appeared alongside such luminaries as Will Ferrell, Amy Sedaris, Amy Schumer, Jesse Plemons, J.K. Simmons, Bob Odenkirk, Kevin Bacon, Jessica Alba, Will Forte and Matt Walsh. Now Patty's appearing in the CBS hit Evil before returning home to film a new sitcom which he writes and stars alongside his wife Harriet Dyer. My first question in this 10 question
1: spin-off series is always, how do you think your fellow workers would describe you? It's a good question. And I think it depends on um, who I'm working with. Or like, I? I think it does because I'm working with Harry at the moment. We're writing this show together which we're going to make and um, I think she would describe me as annoying because um, I'm always on at her about shit, you know. What <laughs> shit? Well, we, we just have different ways of processing work, you know. I'm like I'm thinking about it at all random times. She likes to put this is work time, and this is not work time, <laughs> um, which is a far more efficient way of dealing with it. Whereas I'm just like, we'll be in the middle of dinner, and I go. So w- with episode three, I'm thinking she'd be like, "Can we? Can we?" And I'm like, "No, but just let me." She said, "No." So she would describe me as annoying. Um, on, I mean, I'm you know working on evil right now. I think maybe kachi would describe me as. I mean, I have no idea. I haven't asked anyone to describe me. I'm probably, <laughs> what i hear but um i think she enjoys working with me i think we have good good scene partner but then you've got it's not just actors it's crew mm. i think crew generally would think of me as friendly and mm. professional that's how i want to be that's how i that's how i always try to be you know a, a, a easygoing sort of but professional show up know my lines don't keep people waiting unnecessarily and then I've got producers that I work with, you know, the people who are above me or, you know, and they, I, I think I probably test producers a bit more. I think I'm a bit more demanding with the, I think I, I, because I don't like being out of the loop. I don't like not knowing what's going on mm. as an actor. It's hard, you know, because you treat it a bit like a mushroom. You're sort of the special children who are told things last. Yep. And, and then you're managed as an actor. Yeah. Um, and that, I struggled with that for a long time. And I think it's only in the last few years, since I've been, you know, writing, producing, show running, that I've I've i got to exercise that part of me. And I know what's going on. And so now I can enjoy the gigs where I'm just an actor, because like, there's a lot of responsibility and stuff that I'd rather not know about, actually. Um, but when when I when I do have those positions, I want to know it. I want I want to know why decisions are being made and i think that's why i got into writing and show running in the first place well you know edge my way into there is just to be essentially an actor i'm first and foremost an actor but just to have be an actor with a seat at the table yeah i think because actors are treated so um you know after the fact Mm. and also to answer your question further It's probably not just who I'm working with. It's probably what role I'm in as well. You know, as a showrunner, I'm very mindful of of, um, an actor's process, you know, not just show up and do the thing and we'll fit you in. I like, uh, as an actor, I like to know what's going on in terms of why are we filming this, you know, why are we doing it this way, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I'm always. I want actors to feel comfortable and welcome, so that they can feel that they're doing their best work. Mm. Yeah, um, it's a strange job acting, and some actors don't need that at all. But I like to be mindful of the ones who do. Um,
0: I, I guess this, in a way, feeds into it. What What's the most unhelpful feedback you've received?
1: I think, and it, it's. Yeah, it is connected. I think it's it's, when I think about that, it's mainly stuff from drama school, honestly. It's stuff like I think when I went through drama school at VCA, there was a, there was, you know, at at the time I was going through it, there was a real um, attrition. You know, people would first first year would be like 27 people and and the graduating class would be 12 people. Yeah. Uh, Not always, but the time I was there, that was about the number. And so for a good, couple of years I was right on the cusp of will he make it or will he not and I was told over and over again we we think you're a good performer but we don't know if you're an actor wow we don't know if you can reveal character with you know um so for a long time I I was but but on the other hand maybe that maybe that I was galvanized by that a bit I don't know Mm. maybe because I was told that I was a bit fuck you and I want to prove them wrong or mm. worked extra hard or something. I, I don't know. Maybe it's hard to say. The other thing in drums, I was told, I was told I had a very um, nasal quality in my voice and I was always, you know, I was always told I wasn't breathing properly. Um, and I got to hang up about that for many years about like, Oh, my voice isn't, um, isn't, you know, sonorous or free enough or whatever. Um, and then ultimately one day I was like hey I'm working as a voiceover actor that can't be true (laughs) 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 Um, and doing theater as well and and I think I think that was coming from a voice teacher who had a particular idea of what a theatrical actor sounds like yeah Um, which certainly in Australia in a tv and film industry who gives a fuck what a you know you don't want to be, you know, this sort of guy who's, <laughs> um, yes, I'm a graduate of uh, VCA. You know, you don't need that. <clears throat> Nobody needs that. No one no needs string anymore. That, that era is past. Yeah, completely. So those those were in a sense very unhelpful, but but again, even with the voice one, maybe it made me work harder for it. I don't know. So it's hard to say. But at the time, it felt very unhelpful. Did you fit? So you definitely felt on the edge, like you'd had those discussions with them, and you and you felt a little bit on the edge. I was on the edge. I was told several times at sort of the you know assessment times. I remember being told at the start of second year of drama school, look, if this were the old days, we'd have a trial. You know, you'd be you'd still be on um, on trial basically for this term because we don't know if you. You've only just scraped in essentially
0: oh. and and yeah. just just would you have would it have been the end of the world would you have still pursued
1: acting had you not graduated? I, it's, it's, I really don't know I think so. yeah, I think so because I was doing arts law for a couple of, so I, I finished high school college year 12 and then took a year off and then I and then I did arts law and I did that for three years in Canberra. And, and I got my arts degree, but I still had two years of just straight law to go. And I was like, I can't do this. I'm, who am I kidding? I'm not. I can't, there's no way. I'm not, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I've been lucky enough to get the marks to do law, but let's face it, I'm not good at it at all. I'm just getting by. And so I went, and I'd been auditioning for your as your VCAs for three, you know, for several years, never got in, maybe just a bad auditioner. And then I got into the Actors Centre the year before I went to VCA. And, and I, there was a, that was a three days a week part-time course. Um, and then uh, at the end of that year, I was one of the better students in the class. I auditioned again, didn't get in again anywhere. And But a teacher of mine at Actors Centre had started the following year at BCA that had students drop out. They didn't have time to audition anyone. And she, she was like, I vouch for you if you want to come. Oh, wow. It was a, a few weeks after the start of the, of the year. Oh, the wow. So, I got in sort of under the radar into BCA. Um, so, you're already on the and back foot. Th- in a way, there's a, already
0: a bit of a shadow over you because you're under, coming in under. And at
1: that weight. time, what I was doing, I was in Canberra back living with my folks, earning money. I think I was working for my brother. And I was going to go overseas and do act, you know, go and study Lecoq or, mm. or Philippe Poulière or find a class overseas. I was going to go and do that. So, I think I probably would have done something like that anyway.
0: And how old were you when you first year at VCA? 23, 22,
1: 22.
0: So you are kind of on the older end, would you have been?
1: Yeah, I was. I was, yeah, yeah.
0: And that means that the fall is even harder if, you know, if you get kicked out and you're, you know, and you're one of the older ones. Yeah, that's right, yeah.
1: It's probably great, mate. It really built determination, I reckon. I think determination plus sort of the arrogance of youth going, I can do this, Mm. you know, not really thinking about, what if I fail? I didn't think too much about what if I fail because um, I was a younger person. Mm. I think. What is the failure you most cherish? Um, yeah, I mean that, that's uh, that's a tough one um, because I haven't failed at anything. Oh, no, no, um, <laughs> no. I think I think cherish is a strong word, but I think um, I think the failure of my my first marriage is the thing that I think it was a really tough thing to go through and, um, and, uh, uh, and it sort of broke me in many ways and I broke myself in many ways. Um, and I think out of the having been through that, I do feel like it changed me for the better. I think I'm a more thoughtful, uh, empathic person now than I was. I think I was a little bit of a cunt in some respects. I think I, was, I, think I took a, lots of aspects of life and things for granted. Um, and I don't, uh, che- as I say, cherish is a strong word because I don't cherish that I hurt my ex-wife. Like I, I hurt her. Um, through my ignorance and, and sort of selfishness. Um, and I don't cherish that at all. I'm, I'm, that'll always be a regret. But, but through that uh, shitness, I, I think I'm, it was a huge failure on my part. I think I, um, I'm a better person because of it, because mm-hmm. I never want to do that again you know, say anything like that again, mm. that's probably the one, that's my biggest, certainly the my biggest failure. And I think I have to something like cherish it because I did learn from it.
0: Yeah. But it did open up a, a path for you for happiness, I guess,
1: you know? Absolutely. That's the other thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard to regret anything when I'm very happy with my life today, you know, mm. uh, because of the, you just never know what could have happened and the butterfly effect and mm. all that sort of shit. So it's hard to, um, it absolutely did open up a path to happiness. You know, I'm very happy now personally, and I have a beautiful wife and family. So there's nothing I regret about that.
0: If you could go back five years, what advice would you give yourself?
1: What are we talking? That's 2017, 2018? What was that? 2017? This- um. So I'm 40. Have you just arrived in LA in
0: 2016?
1: 2015. I think late 2015 is when I arrived in LA. Because we arrived at the beginning of 2016. So yeah, we're around the same time. Yeah, yeah. I was back and forth a bit, you know, testing the waters. Mm. And then I, I got a gig at the start of 2015, a pilot that didn't go ahead but that was that was my first step into meetings and getting representation all that sort of stuff um, So the following year I think uh, it's, it's sort of an obvious one but I think it would be uh, the advice would be don't worry it's going to be all right you', you you're, you're on the right track
0: was it a little bit of was a little bit of kind of somewhere
1: between panic and uncertainty there was just a lot of I mean that 2016 so you know my marriage would have fell apart, in the, in the 12 months before that. And, um, and, and I, and I was in a lot of flux and thinking about where I was and who I was. And, you know, in 2015, I went and did the um, Camino de Santiago, you know, I walked across Spain right. thinking about what the fuck, what, just what the fuck really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah, five years ago is, is, is on the, uh, is on the end of all that. But, um, but I was still, you know, Unsure about what I was doing. I was new to LA, and uh, as an older actor as well, comparatively, I suppose. You know, I was forty. Yeah. So um, again, again, I think I probably had. I wasn't worrying about failing, in in that sense, in that sort of binary sense of succeed or fail. But um, yeah, I was. I was. I, in a sense, didn't really. I was. Didn't really know what I was doing. I think. I. I think I was still a bit in flux really. Um, so I think the best advice I could have received at that time was just, just, just be present with this. It's it's going to be, it's going to be all right. I think the thing that perhaps
0: that's not been acknowledged here when, when you talk about the VCA thing and, you know, early LA is that you always knew you had game as far as acting is concerned. The only, the only concern probably is whether the circumstances would arrive that, that, you know, you would get employed, but isn't that always the
1: case? Doesn't anyone trying to do something? I mean, I don't know, but particularly with acting, don't you only give it a go if you think you have game, and, and um, you had game, you had game, and you had the stuff behind you. I had some run, runs on the board, yeah, yeah, when it would play for sure. Mm. But yeah, you don't know if that's going to, to uh, translate over here, because it, in a sense, it does open some doors. If I had a bit of a show reel and that stuff. But, but also you're starting again. I mean, they go, that's great. That's great. But you, you've, you don't have any cachet over here at all. Yeah. You've got someone who might believe in you uh, or might, in lieu of believing in you, you know, just represent you and hope hope that you do something for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's
0: delusional game and then there's something a little bit
1: more solid. Um, yeah. But, but as the know. person. But in how the, would you know? How would you, how do you know? Um, they could ask me. Oh, yeah. Oh. Anyone could ask you and you, you just tell them straight up. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I think you'd relish it maybe too much. I'd have a little office. Yeah. Probably, you know, off the Yeah, perfect. Um, question five is
0: what about your job keeps you awake at night?
1: The only time I lose sleep about work is uh, the night before, first day on set, really, first day at school. That would be the only time I regularly would lose sleep. It's just first day at school nerves. Mm. Or a very early call, you know, that I feel like I'm not ready for, or anytime I don't feel prepared for the next day. Um, but there's nothing. I'm a pretty good sleeper. There's nothing. Um, there's nothing generally that would keep me awake. Mm. That's not, great. I'm like, ah, oh, how wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And is it also
0: anything with regards to an edit or a script or, or stuff like that when
1: you're doing no activity? If those things come up as I'm falling asleep. I'll make a note of them and then forget oh, about it. But I, I, it's such a waste of time to. It's rare is the time that I'll, I'll be in such a liminal state that I won't have the wherewithal to m- make a note on my phone or not go to sleep like that. That that rarely happens. If something something bugs me, bugging me, I'll make a note on my phone and then hopefully that'll that'll do until tomorrow. Unless I can like wake up right now and fix it, you know. It's such a waste of time to toss and turn. Uh, and I'm not afflicted by it, fortunately. Yeah.
0: Um, what's an obstacle you've had to overcome?
1: I think probably the biggest is an obvious one for me is, is um, uh, a medical condition that I was born with called prune belly syndrome or, or um, triad syndrome or in America it's called Eagle Barrett syndrome. And it's just a weird one that hits, it's extremely rare. And, and, and it affects your renal system in different ways as well. So I had, I had a bunch of medical attention from certainly from the time I was born. As soon as I was born, I had surgery when I was a couple of weeks old until I was about 10. And there is some residual stuff, but not a lot. I've got all sorts of scars and things. And my abdomen is a bit of a war zone. But um, uh, And also as a result of that, I can't have kids. And I always knew that. Um, and that's, you know, why Harry and I adopted um, well, the main reason, the, the start of it anyway. But I think that was, that was probably the biggest obstacle I've had to overcome. But really that was my, I mean, my parents really had to deal with that. And as a parent, new parent myself, I, I've got no idea how the fuck they dealt. Ha, ha, I don't know how you get through something like that. A, a baby who's essentially, you know, there, there was, the hope was not high there for a long time um that i would live wow when you say a long time what are we talking well initially it it was um you know in the first few weeks my dad overheard the night nurse when i was switching ships at the hospital uh i was in hospital saying look don't i mean this is this is the story he's told me is that don't worry if the bramble boy dies you know tonight he's probably not gonna make it oh my god Uh, and he overheard that and he went and you know he did his own as a journalist he went did his own research and found specialists and, and sort of, you know, he did some incredible stuff and found the right people for me. Um, it was extremely oh, that's, lucky. That's, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. How has it affected
0: you since then? Has it is it just been the scarring and, or is it, do you have
1: digestive issues or anything since then? No, nothing really ongoing. I mean, I just have to basically watch my diet, live a relatively healthy lifestyle Um but as a kid, I was never able to play full contact sports. Like I couldn't play any. I mean, I grew up with you know, footy, rugby. I couldn't play any of that oh. sort of stuff. Um, but I was still a pretty sporty kid, given I couldn't do that stuff. Um, and and the, you know, since then, it, it's it just sort of affects. Yeah, it's you're just going to be mindful of it, but but not in a not in a, in an earth shattering way. I've had a couple of episodes over the years where I've I hadn't seen a specialist and they've wanted me to. Uh, you know, make adjustments to how I um, live, and my my like my renal system doesn't work particularly efficiently or effectively. Mm. So it takes me a little bit of piss, for instance, mm. and um, and uh, you know, if I don't, if 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 I didn't take care of myself, who who you know, I I think maybe my kidneys would start getting damaged at some point. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's hard to know because it's such a rare condition that when i was born it was considered you know fatal um and so there were not many people with um they didn't know how long i was going to live and they and and in you know they really didn't know um there weren't many cases of people that that either they'd recorded in the medical journals who survived you know lived a long healthy life um i don't think that's the case now um but yeah, so it's it's it hasn't affected me. I mean, it's been obviously it was a huge obstacle. It was straight out of the gate, but it was also who would I be without? Yeah, having had that. Yeah, I'm a very different sort of person, I think. Wow. Um, so it's so it's like I can't feel I can't um, wish it had never happened, and I and I don't. Um,
0: I'd be interested to see what uh, Harry would say about this next question. What what word or phrase do you most
1: overuse? Yeah. <laughs> um, I did think hard about this one. Um, I, I can't think of a particular. If if you, because oh, I asked Harry and she couldn't think of one. No. Can you think of one for me? No. No, I can't. Because I can think of one for you. Exactly. What do I? No, hundred percent.
0: I need to. I only adopted hundred percent about three years ago, and that's Brett Tucker's fault.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not like I don't say it like it's an annoying thing at all. It's just like hundred percent. man. when people say hundred percent, I I think I first started hearing it regularly from you, mm. but now everyone says it. Hundred percent. I used to say exactly uh, a lot
0: too, by the way.
1: So it's another another exactly. form of exactly, isn't it? So I've just swapped one thing for another. It's not a bad thing. It's an affirmation of what you've just heard. It's an endearing quality. Provided you are
0: Little audio drop out there, but Paddy was telling me he was fine with me saying 100% as long as I was being genuine. And yes, I'm 100% genuine. I then asked Paddy if he repeated any words or phrases when he
1: writes. Well, I think in my writing it does come out. I think I swear a bit much. I think I swear pretty liberally. What's your favorite swear word? Oh, probably fuck. I mean, I pepper, yeah. it, I pepper fuck like punctuation, you know. It's, um, it's what the fuck, fucking. Like, it's just always fuck. And do you get notes from the network about your fucks? I think I think it really comes out of my writing. I think it comes out, I think, and Harry always points this out. My first draft just littered with curse words, swear <laughs> Littered. That's how all my characters and me, seemingly, express myself. So what so this <laughs> the first edit is always just picking out all the fucks. <laughs> Obviously, that's how I work. I, I need to just swear and like punctuation basically. And then yeah
0: and you're from a lovely you're from lovely canberra mate you're not even from queensland Lovely Canberra, i
1: know i don't have any excuse (laughs) that's brilliant um how do you remain calm under pressure um i think the way i think the way i deal with stress is i tend to absorb it absorb it absorb it and then at a certain point i'll i'll i won't go zero to 100 i'll go six to 60 to 100, because mm-hmm. I'm already at 60, you know? So I think I tend to absorb pressure. I tend to, for a while anyway, just go, yep, yeah, okay. Now I've got now, how, so how do I deal with that circumstance? So that's there now. Okay, how do I deal with that? Like, got to keep putting one foot in front of it. that's. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue with the umpire. It's like, that's what it is right now. Okay, then I'll do this. How yeah, can yeah. I keep going, keep going? Um. And then when it becomes beyond that and it's real pressure or it's, or it's say, you know, extreme nerves or something, um, I think, I don't know, a bit of blind faith and just, I think get on with it is, is kind of not my motto. Cause we get to that one, but I think it's just a, a way, just a pragmatic way of, of approaching life. Just, just, keep going just keep putting one foot in front of the other i do talking
0: of absorbing pressure i notice that sometimes when someone says something stupid you know you won't pick them up on it straight away you see a slight narrowing of the eyes with you <laughs> but that's it
1: <laughs> really i have not noticing. yeah
0: it's just like it's just like a little bit of a clint eastwood look and then um and then uh so it takes a while for you to kind of go well, you know um
1: not sure about that that's funny you know lately just lately with Joni, you know, with being, with a little, having a baby, I am, there's been a couple of instances just in the last week of me having a go at strangers. It's not something I do generally, not straight away, but just moments of just today. Harry and I are walking along. We're in New York and we're going to get a coffee. Got the stroller, got the dog. It's cold. We're walking along and we've got the, you know, the walking man at the lights and there's a guy who just turns, doesn't see us. I'm like, whoa, 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 and he stops and we go to walk around him and he says something. He's like, blah blah, blah. I don't know what he said, but he was basically having a go at us. And I was just like, You're a fuckwit, mate. We're gonna fuck it. Like I just went to that place. Yeah. And um, I don't know, there's something about doing it in New York that feels quite right.
0: Yeah, it feels right, and also you you know' got a baby, so yeah, I was like,
1: Fucking dog and a baby, you fuck with. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm not proud of myself for doing that. It was it's just something that came out straight away, and I don't know if that Harry's noticed that about herself as well. That she'll she will when when it's about Joni or interaction with the public, and someone's doing something that potentially endangers her, or maybe she we can see that there is some issue there, and not just like and not just that he was turning and didn't see us. That wasn't the issue. Like we stopped him. That wasn't the issue. It was that he then had a he he had a go at us mm. that we were in the wrong, and that's what yeah. I like, Fuck you, mate. But that wasn't even pressure. That was just a, a knee jerk response.
0: No, but is it, yeah, it's interesting how how when you're suddenly protecting someone, mm. um, that comes out in you. It's mm. great.
1: Um, career high and career low. I would say probably career uh, career high in terms of. A creatively very, very um, fulfilling and fun process, and and it, it it cut through. It found an audience. People liked it. it would probably be uh, the Australian no activity. I think it was something I loved doing with great people, and people really liked it who saw it. Yeah, um, that would probably be the one. Moody Christmas is close as well but that was so sort of early in my TV career that I didn't, I thought all jobs would be like this. Um, sure. <laughs> and, and career and also the American No Activity, it didn't cut through at all. Nobody watched the fucking thing. I mean, um, I think because it was on a, a streaming service, it didn't have a lot of subscribers here in America. And I doubt Australians who saw it really, preferred it to the Australian version. And fair enough. Um, but I had, that was a highlight in terms of who I worked with. Like some of the names, some of the actors mm. who got onto that thing were fucking amazing. So yeah. I do and care. I do Jesse Plemons, yeah. J.K. Yeah. Simmons. And I'm oh, kicking myself yeah. that I didn't write my scene, myself a scene with Will Ferrell. Like we had him there for a couple of days and what a fucking idiot. Anyway. Um, so that was kind of kicking kick me stuff a lot working with those people, but it wasn't I wouldn't say it's a career highlight in terms of what we're talking about. Career low light. Um, probably um, <laughs> probably probably well, I did a sitcom last year uh, which went for a season here in America. I mean and, and that was it. They axed it immediately. It was it was it was comedy in a time of COVID. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was meant to be the live studio audience. We were just playing literally to a seating bank. There was nobody there. And you know what? It fucking showed on telly. You can tell no one was there. It just, it was, it was not good. I loved the, I loved working with everyone. I really enjoyed everybody. But, um, but in terms of a show, it just didn't work. Um, maybe that, but some years ago, I did uh, Power Games. Remember that one? Well, I played Rupert Murdoch. It was a Channel 9 oh, yeah. miniseries, you know, over yeah. a few special nights. You know, it was one of those. <laughs> <things>. <laughs> you won't believe. Whatever the fuck. <laughs> it was me and um, Lockie Hume and he was uh, Frank Packer. And I was, and I was like, and I shaved like some of my hair, like shaved it back to be a young yeah. Rupert. Like I really, I went there in terms of, and it just, I don't know. I, I Looking back at the time, I was like, And everyone around me was nominated for awards. I didn't get anything, no nominations, lukewarm reviews. And at the time I was a bit like, oh. And looking back, I was like, oh no, that should have been a lot better than it was. That should have, that was a a fail. For whatever it what, is,
0: are you serious? Because I loved you in that. I, I, I'm I, just, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm a little bit shocked, I've got to say. Well, uh, I thought you were great, but it was just, was it, are you talking about your performance? Or I don't,
1: I mean, it was just something that should have been a big thing and it just wasn't. Yeah, I, actually, I did take from it, my dad really said he that was the, the favorite thing that I'd ever done that he'd seen because he'd worked with Rupert Murdoch. Uh, at the yeah. Australian and he was like he was just like that and uh, that was wow you know, that's where a that great saved compliment. everything for me but I yeah. guess I only bring it up now because I didn't ha- apart from that I didn't have any you know as an actor no one tells you fucking anything real um I mean rarely rarely do you get uh unlooked for um y- you know positive feedback you know someone coming yeah. up and not just because you're on telly, but some, like a crew member or something. I don't, I don't fucking know what I'm saying. But really, I just felt like I did this thing. I thought it was pretty good, and then no one ever spoke about it again. You know, and I was like, oh, well, maybe I, maybe I wasn't good in that. I don't. It's hard to tell, and I haven't revisited. I haven't looked back at it for years. Yeah, well, if you came to the Adam
0: office, he would have said that you were great in that. I should you and should open uh, up
1: that? You should open up that office off the Bray.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you can have a good. A good meeting with you. 20 bucks or something to pay 20 bucks and then you get an honest opinion. Talking of dads, my dad, who also knew a youngish Rupert Murdoch, thought Paddy captured the tycoon perfectly as well. And Paddy nearly got a chance to hear what Murdoch himself thought of the casting. He was in at Fox in LA one day and for a moment, it looked like Paddy and Rupert would meet.
1: No, it never happened. Bad to happen. The head of casting was like, he's just next door. Let me see. And she went, spent 10 minutes, came back and was like, he's got another meeting to go to. (laughs) I'm like... Okay.
0: No worries. Out of interest, what talking points did Paddy have up his sleeve for when he and Murdoch
1: came face to face? Nothing. I would have had nothing. It's probably better that I didn't meet him. He would have been like, oh, fuck, what am I talking to <laughs> this guy for? I remember talking to Kim Beasley years ago for that, when I played Kim Beasley in um, Hawk.
0: That right. was right. You were great at Kim Beasley uh, too.
1: Surreal. I was very nervous talking to Kim Beasley. What a lovely man. Yeah. That voice. Yeah, that voice. Um, I put on quite a bit of weight for that as well. When they cast me, I was like, when I got the audition, I was like, what a waste of my time. Really? Me? You're going to play Kim Beasley? I mean, maybe I wasn't in the best shape in the world, but I was like, I'm not Kim Beasley shape, am I? And I got the role and I was like, well, great, but what, what am I supposed to do with that? And then I was like, I've got to put on more weight. And so I went and saw a nutritionist and she gave me this shit diet of like, getting fat healthily, like eating lots and lots of healthy carbs, Uh which I did for a while. And I just felt disgusting all the time. So I thought I might as well eat stuff that I enjoy it. So it was like McDonald's and all sorts of junk food. Um, And I felt pretty gross doing it. And um, I mean, actually I felt like a fraud all the way through that. I was just the whole time. I was like, I don't look like fucking... I'm not Kim Beasley in any way here. <laughs> Playing someone real is a very hard gig. I mean, you know, you've done that.
0: Most of the real-life people I've played have passed away and thus have been spared of my portrayal of them. Final question, does Patrick have a motto?
1: I'd say probably the one that I keep revisiting is um, is uh, life only goes in one direction. I find it helpful in terms of staying present and not, uh, not being too precious about what's, what's past. And what's passing, mm. and also not not looking too forward to the future either, because it's constantly moving.
0: Are you disciplined about all those things, or is it come, does it come naturally to you?
1: I'm not so disciplined about that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. But, it, I, don't, but I do keep saying it, so I, it must be. It, I must need to hear it.
0: Yeah, 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 So You, yeah. you don't indulge, is what you're saying in in
1: uh, the past or the
0: all right. Uh, Try not to, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, try not to because, I mean, it's only worth doing if you can learn from it, but really, what can't you learn from the present?
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to 10 Questions. If you'd like to subscribe to us on Patreon, we're at 10 Questions with Adam Zwa, and that's where you can get the bonus content on every interview. Until next time, thanks for joining us.